Hi, I'm Naomi Shaven. Welcome to Axios Recap, where we cover one big story. Today is Tuesday, December 21st, and we're focused on a big bet on psychedelics. I've been talking with my Axios coworkers about the biggest stories in their beats over the last year and what they're watching heading into 2022. Today, I'm talking with Allison Snyder, managing editor and author of the Axios Science newsletter. When I asked Allison for a big science trend she's followed this year, I was really surprised by her answer. With everything else going on this year, I had entirely missed what she said was a huge story on her beat. Biotech and government funding has poured into research into the therapeutic potential of psychedelic compounds. Think really trippy drugs like LSD and shrooms. The idea is that these compounds could help treat severe forms of depression. These treatments aren't available to the public. But this was, in some ways, the year psychedelics went mainstream, at least in the research community. In a moment, I'll be joined by Allison to discuss what these trials are like and what researchers are hoping to discover. I'm joined now by Axios Managing Editor, Allison Snyder. She writes the Axios Science Newsletter. Hi, Allison. Hi, Naomi. Allison, could you start with a vocabulary lesson? What are the major drugs and compounds being looked at? And what are the words people need to know in this industry? So the major ones that people are looking at are psilocybin, which is found in magic mushrooms, MDMA, which is found in ecstasy, LSD. And then those are sort of known as classic psychedelics. On top of that, there's ketamine, which is another drug that is actually legal. And so therefore has actually has a bit of a, there's more and more use of that in ketamine assisted therapy. Can you walk us quickly through the history? The therapeutic benefits of some of the psychedelics you just described were studied in the 1950s and in the 1960s. Then those experiments kind of famously were scrapped. Why was this research halted and why is it only now making a comeback? Yeah, so psychedelics are not new. They were, like you said, they were studied in the 50s and 60s, and then it stopped for various reasons. A big one being that they're classified as Schedule One drugs, which means, you know, they have a high potential for abuse and, and no currently accepted medical use. And then in the past 20 years, the funding looking at these drugs was for coming from the private sector, from philanthropists. And this year that's changed. So how would you describe what happened over the past year? Is this the year psychedelics made a comeback? Is it the year that biotech took an interest? What happened? Well, I think a whole host of things happened. There's been lots of money invested. So there's a boom in biotech companies that are pursuing them. There's this recognition that there are a lot of people who don't respond to treatments for depression and other conditions. And there haven't been many new treatments for those conditions that have come through. And so there's a decline in investment. And so basically there's a demand, there's a need that seems to be emerging. And I guess to describe it, one of the researchers I talked with sort of describes it as a, it's sort of, you know, a time when the science of psychedelics became legit. How much of the current research that's happening is building on the foundation that was established in the 50s and 60s? And how much of it is totally reapproaching this anew? I think it's all, I mean, it all builds on, on past research. I think what's happened and what's sort of changed and what's been brought to it is the ability to bring sort of standards to these studies that in the past, for various reasons, they couldn't. So the way in which the science is being done, I think, is being sharpened, but it certainly builds on past work. When you say that the science is being sharpened, could you give us a couple of key examples and how are they being researched? 
Yes. One of the big ones is psilocybin, which is the compound found in magic mushrooms. And there are studies underway to look at, you know, these drugs have been studied in the past, right? Like how they work, their potential for abuse. But what's happening now is that they're really looking at them as a potential therapeutic. So looking at unsexy things like dosing, the types of therapy that have to be administered alongside the drugs, setting up more diverse trials, some of these really nitty gritty details that are required for a drug to even be considered to become another part of mainstream practice. You mentioned trials and therapy. What are the trials like? What's involved? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things, and this is something that is a challenge for these types of drugs if they do move forward, is that, you know, they're administered in a clinical setting. There's typically two people who are there to oversee that process. There's follow-up therapy. So it's not simply, you know, taking a drug and walking away. And I think most researchers in this field are very quick to say that it's describe it as a psychedelic assisted therapy. So there's still a lot of emphasis on the therapy piece of this. Have there been major developments this year in that scientific research, like any huge papers or findings that have come out? So there's two big things I would say that have happened from a science standpoint. One which we sort of hinted, sort of hinted at, which is that government funding has been channeled or starting to be directed toward this again. So there was a big NIH uh, grant that was uh, awarded to a research scientist at Johns Hopkins who studies this, again, from a science standpoint. In the past, they've looked at it, Again, you know, how it works, potential for abuse. But here it's really about studying the therapeutic benefit, the potential therapeutic benefit. So that's one thing. The Australian government is also funding similar types of work. And then the other, just about a month ago, there was a big study, sort of the largest clinical trial of psilocybin helping people with depression. And they showed that they could improve the outcomes in patients who had treatment-resistant depression. And it was, it was a big study. Beyond the government agencies who are getting involved in different countries, who are the biggest players in this space and what are they trying to achieve? Yeah, so a lot of universities are also big players. So Johns Hopkins has a, a preeminent program, Yale, NYU, uh, UCSF, I believe. They're all looking at trying to understand how these work and for who they might work and how they could be developed to be therapeutically useful. Just to zoom out really big picture, why do researchers think that psychedelics would help a person who has untreatable depression? Well, I mean, I think part of it is there hasn't been like a lot of headway made on treating these conditions. And like the pipeline has sort of dried up, you know, big pharmaceutical companies, there's just been a massive decline in investment. So I think part of it is a revisiting. I mean, when you take magic mushrooms or LSD, like the compounds in those drugs, they affect serotonin receptors, right? And so these are like mood regulators, basically on the surface of the brain. And they're trying to figure out how that translates into a like a sustained change. And one idea is that it's related to this idea that you can rewire connections between brain cells. The sort of rewiring that some people think is key to the drug's benefits and there's the question of whether you can create a drug, this is a whole other issue, of whether you can create a drug that's not hallucinogenic, but still helpful. So there's this whole debate within the sort of, in the psychedelic science community about how important the trip is for the effect of the drug. But I think there are people who are hopeful that, you know, there can be ways to tweak these compounds to remove some of the adverse effects or potentially adverse effects that still keep some of the benefits. Alison Snyder. She writes the Axios Science newsletter. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you. Welcome back. You just finished listening to the second to last ever conversation on Axios Recap. Tomorrow, I'll be talking to Jim Vandehei, CEO and co-founder of Axios. We'll look back at this last year and talk about what media did right, what media did wrong, and how journalists can rebuild public trust. And if you're curious about the Axios ethos, I don't just recommend the conversation tomorrow. I really recommend that you subscribe to Axios Today, hosted by Nyla Boudou. Axios Today is a great place to hear the news that matters. You'll get at least three big stories first thing in the morning that help you set up your day in 10 minutes or less. Make sure you're subscribed to Axios Today if you're not already. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with the last episode of Axios Recap. 